Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to a brand new episode of Second Take Cinema, a Christmas-themed episode coming to you from the glorious Impala Films headquarters in snowy Southend-on-Sea. As always, I am your host, Jamie Evans, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Rory Jocelyn. Good afternoon, evening, morning, daytime. Whatever time you are listening to this. (laughs) Because this is for streaming. Today, we are travelling back to the year of my birth. I thought you were going to say the year of our Lord. I was like, what? Oh, well, I say I usually say year of our yeah, Lord, do, don't I? You do, to be fair. That's why I thought uh, it. To the year of my birth, 1990. 1990. I was going to say 19,090. <laughs> yes. So. I am from the future. Uh, I'm back in time to look at Home Alone. As we take on a little film that you've just spoiled the title of. Oh. Uh, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we are looking at Home Alone. Cue the music. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, today we are looking at Home Alone, a Christmas classic for many, a film that, uh, for me personally, has an awful lot of um, Mandela effect associated with it, because I'm not going to lie, I always forget which bits happen in Home Alone 2 and which ones happen in Home Alone 1. Well, Um, basically, do the events happen in a hotel? If yes, two. If no, one. They are basically the same film. Oh, yeah, the just, plot is pretty much the same. Just sub- substitute the shovel-wielding old man for a pigeon-feeding lady, yes. and they're more or less the same film. Anywho, uh, so this is a 1990 Christmas comedy film directed by Chris Columbus, who many will know as the director of the first two Harry Potter movies. And the person and who the, discovered uh, America. Adam and the... Oh, well, yeah, discovered America. And, of course, the uh, the... Popular Adam Sandler vehicle pixels. Oh, did he do that one? That is that's the film that destroyed Chris Columbus's career. I mean, <laughs> well, we haven't covered it on the show yet, so let's let's pretend we don't know if it's good or bad. It's an Adam Sandler film. We know it's bad. Adam Sandler does good films. No, no, no. Adam Sandler used to do good films, uh, and now, now he does good films when they're dramas and they're surprisingly good. Yeah, like Uncut Gems. Like Uncut Gems, which I really want to see. Or Myrowitz stories, New and Selected, which yeah. he's actually so good Adam in. Sandler does do good movies. His, his comedies have not been good in a very long time. To be fair, we don't know that because we haven't watched Pixels on VGMP yet. Yeah, but I've seen it before. Yeah, but yeah, but let's forget that for a minute. No, and let's just go with let's go with positivity and it's hope. A, it's a movie where Kevin James plays the president. I mean, Kevin James could be a good president. You don't know. Post Trump. I mean, to be fair, 
He can't be worse than anyway, Tron. Anyway, <laughs> this movie is written and produced by 80s legend John Hughes, yep. um, who obviously was a very popular writer and director in the 1980s, and stars, of course, child star Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, and Catherine O'Hara, with a little cameo appearance from comedy legend John Candy. Yep. John Candy's one of those actors who... Maybe I've just not seen the right stuff, but I don't think he's as funny as history's sort of dinged him. No, but this maybe is... uh, maybe the humor doesn't work for me. But like, yeah, this is the example, thing we've talked about. Planes, about... trains, and automobiles. I did no. not like at all. Right. Um, his character in Boff in uh, what's it called? Um, Spaceballs mm-hmm. was all right. Right. But it was not the most memorable part of the How about film. Cool Runnings. Do you like him in Cool Runnings? He was all right in Cool Runnings. I think. Um, I think generally speaking, I think his most popular film is Uncle Buck. I think. Right. I haven't seen that. I one. haven't seen that. One. Um, but and then in this, like, he was just. All right, but, but I, I get it. It's just comedy ages. I feel the same. Contro- controversy time. <laughs> Eddie Murphy's not funny. Oh, do you not think so? No. Eddie Murphy's not funny. I was going to do a quote. I mean, to be to fair, America, but then I, I realised I can't do it without an accent. I will give him one more chance <laughs> because I haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop, which is arguably either. his best film. Right. Um, but like Doctor Doolittle's trash. Naughty Professor's trash. I mean, that, that's his trash era anyway. Um, I was thinking more like oh, coming right. to America. I'll tell you who else I don't find funny, but I've said this before on the show. I do not find Bill Murray funny. At all. Yeah. Ever. Never have. There's a couple of times I've... There's a couple of films I like him in. I like him in the first Ghostbusters mm. because he has... His, his character is contrasted well by the other characters. Mm. I also liked him in... Though, to be fair, I don't like the film overall... Um, Lost in Translation, that opening with him in the Japanese studio where they're... Centauri time. Yeah, the Centauri time. I need to see Lost in Translation because it came highly recommended to me by Kirk. Yeah, I need to watch it again because my girlfriend at the time, my then girlfriend, uh, went, well, let's go watch this film. I said, I don't want to watch a romance film. She's like, oh, well, it's got uh, a scene where Scarlett Johansson's naked and goes swimming. I was like, let's go watch this film at the cinema. What a great idea. So we went... I needed the toilet at one point, and that was happened to be at that point. So I've still that's, never seen that her your naked pu- that's butt. Your, that is your punishment for being a perv. <laughs> what the hell? The film's not that good. <laughs> I'm not sure because I've not seen it, but I've heard very good things about but it. It's, from it's Kirk. one of those that a lot of people like. The thing is, for me, to be fair, on Lost in Translation, I'm sure we we'll probably cover it at some point. I can give it a second chance because I've only ever seen it the once at the cinema. Um, the second half of it let it down for me. There was a certain amount of the narrative that didn't make sense to me. Okay. Because they're meant to be Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson aren't actually romantically involved. They're just like, they find each other lost in translation, as it were, in Japan, can't speak Japanese, feeling out of place, and they kind of find each other as like a support, or as, mm. like, and they can support each other in that way as friends. And they go do a bunch of stuff, which is kind of cool, you know, bloody blah. And then... She goes to his flat and he's got a hook around or a girl he's sleeping with, an older lady, who answers the door when she knocks on the door. And she goes, oh, and it's clear that she's been sleeping with Bill Murray. Mm. So Scarlett Hansen runs off and then their whole relationship goes frosty. She's like, I can't believe you did that. So I thought you weren't a romantic thing and you're here with your hu- your new husband. 
Right. So, like, wh- wh- what is... like, And it, it completely crumbles for me. Because, like, oh, so you were looking to cheat with Bill Murray for some reason. And now you're... The, the bubbles burst. And Bill Murray is made to feel bad for having slept with this woman. Mm. But it's like, but you weren't a couple. And yeah. you are here with your husband. So why should Bill Murray feel bad? So anyway, Home Alone... Absolutely giant success of a movie. Yes. Uh, filmed on a budget of $18 million. Damn. 18. And it made $476.7 million. So did it make its budget back? <laughs> um, this is what we've been saying for ages. Hollywood budgets nowadays are f- fucking stupid. I know. $18 million, It's a high quality film. Yeah. And even if you doubled that budget for now, right? That's because be obviously cheap. inflation, it'd still be cheap and you'd easily make your budget back. Because yeah. nowadays they're spending like 600 yeah. million and then it's like, oh, we only made 800 million back. That doesn't cover it with the marketing yeah. costs. Spend less then. I know. Be smarter. So Home Alone, I did not know this, I admit, Home Alone was number one at the box office for a whopping 12 consecutive weeks. Wow. From its release weekend of November 16th, 1990, mm. all the way through to February 1st, 1991, where it was eventually topped by Sleeping with the Enemy, which I believe is a Julia Roberts movie. It is. It's a Julia Roberts movie. Who does she sleep with? Who's the enemy? Uh, she sleep with Marv from Home Alone. Stars Julia Roberts, <laughs> Patrick Bergen and Kevin Anderson. I don't think there's anyone other than her who's recognisable in it. Right. Um, but yeah. It remained in the top 10, so it dropped off the first spot at February 1st, Mm. but still remained in the top 10 all the way until April 26th. Well after Christmas. After having been released in November. um, And then came back into the top 10 the weekend of May 31st to June 2nd. Why? And then again, weekend of June 14th to 16th, before finally falling out of the top 10. After over nine months in the of cinema run, the film had earned 16 times its debut weekend. Uh, the film Ooh. is listed... It was the top grossing film that year for North America. Understandably so. And is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the highest grossing live action comedy ever until it was overtaken in 2011 by a garbage movie, Hangover Part 2. Oh, no. Garbage. Say it with me. Garbage. Oh, mate. No. The Hangover movies are bad. Yes. I've seen. They're not good. No, I've seen the first one uh, because I was the right audience for it when yeah. it came out didn't really like it no nope. the best joke in it was in the trailer and when was, there's the tiger yeah when he's peeing and it pans around no, and there's no, a tiger no, no, no. and he's like whoa no no the best joke in it is when mike tyson starts singing can you feel it hanging in the air tonight and then he does the drum thing goes oh he knocks someone out yeah and he knocks out one of the guys the thing is in the trailer they cut it so he does the drum roll and then punches the guy out in the film, that doesn't happen that way. Right. He does the drum roll, then starts singing, and then halfway through singing, just randomly punches the guy out. Right. And it doesn't fit in with the drum roll. Right. Breaks the flow, and you're like, oh my god, the best fucking joke in this film is better in the trailer. Right. And then the rest of the film is garbage. 
Right. Like, oh. So and yeah, I didn't want to watch the second one. Didn't want to watch the third one. Never went. So back to I've, it. by I, generally speaking, I've only seen the first two, and from what I've heard, the third one everyone thinks is bad. Like even people who like the first two. So oh. by the time the film had run its course in theaters, Home Alone was the third highest grossing movie of all time worldwide. It isn't anymore, obviously. Yeah. Uh, behind at the time only Star Wars and E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Um. And it was also the highest grossing Christmas film ever made until it was surpassed in 2018 by Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, which I believe is the one where Benedict Cumberbatch plays The Grinch. Right. It is indeed, yes. Which, that surprised me because I didn't realise that film did very well. I, I thought that bombed. Because the th- only one I ever hear about is the Jim Carrey one. Yeah, I thought that one had bombed, but maybe we're showing our age there. Because to be fair, that is by Illumination, who are a very popular studio. They're the ones who just did the Mario movie yeah, yeah. Um, and they do the minions movies as well yeah, yeah. uh anyway, critical high reception fucking cinema there critical reception <laughs> well it's not like this is highbrow to be fair That's a good it's, point. A, it's a fucking <laughs> kid taking out burglars with paint cans yeah and... <laughs> i mean I, I, I you are right i'm being unfair there just for just for dickhead's yeah. sake um but... on rotten tomatoes the film holds an approval rating of 66 percent with the critical consensus reading home alone's uneven but frequently funny premise stretched unreasonably thin is buoyed by macaulay culkin's cute performance and strong supporting stars uh audiences polled on cinema score give the film an average grade of an a so that's good variety magazine praised the film for its cast jeanne cooper of the washington post praised the film for its comedic approach and hal hinson also of the washington post praised columbus's direction and culkin's performance although Karen james of the new york times complained that the film's first half is flat and unsurprising as its cute little premise suggests roger ebert of the chicago sun times gave the film two and a half out of four stars and two thumbs down. He compared the elaborate booby traps in the film to Rube Goldberg machines, writing they're kind of traps that any eight-year-old could devise if he had a budget of tens of thousands of dollars and the assistance of a crew of movie special effects people. I mean, that's the, the point, plot. though. It's a fantasy, you burn. I know. And criticised the plot as so implausible that it makes it hard for him to really care about the plight of the kid. However, he did praise Macaulay Culkin's performance. Uh, Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian gave it three out of five, praised Culkin's vivid screen presence, almost incandescent Incandescent with confidence. That's the sort of pretentious bullshit That's you prote- expect the Guardian to say. Yeah. Incandescent. In- with confidence. Incandescent mm. with confidence. However, he criticised his acting, calling it a bit broad and mannered. He's a fucking kid, of course it's a... Oh. This is what the critics got There's wrong, no man. There's psychotic subtlety to this ch- eight-year-old child. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Home Alone gradually became a Christmas classic. It was praised for its quotable phrases, morals, traps, and main character. Hannah Rosier of Stylist called the ending very sweet and praised the score from John Williams, calling it fantastic. Mm. Uh, Chris Hooten of The Independent also praised the film, calling the film within a film, Angels with Filthy Souls, a fond footnote in cinema history. Matt Talbot from Simco.com said that the Wet Bandits were fantastic and never get old on repeat viewings. And Michael Walsh of Nerdist noted the church scene as one of the best, most touching scenes in film history. Uh, And one last fun fact, um, Home Alone remains a highly popular Christmas movie in Poland, where when it is played on Polsat every Christmas Eve. In 2010, Polsat did not play Home Alone, which caused over 90,000 people to protest. Wow. 
Uh, lastly, Julio McCat, the film cinematographer, considers Home Alone his favourite film out of all the projects he has ever shot. And it was the favourite film. This is unsubstantiated, but it says it on Wikipedia, so I'm going to repeat it. Home Alone was the favourite movie of former US President Gerald Ford. Apparently. Is that what he thought he'd do to defend the White House? So, Home Alone. (laughs) What are your memories of Home Alone? So, I've seen it a couple of times. Um, I have to say, I enjoyed it when I was younger. Uh, I kind of enjoyed it this time, actually, to be fair. Uh, I don't have the Mandela effect you're talking about. I remember all of the pieces from this film being from this film. There's a couple of things that I used to think were in this film, but when I rewatched the film Dennis... Or Dennis the Menace, as it's called in America, but it's actually just called Dennis in the UK. Oh, is it really? Yeah, because we have a different Dennis the Menace from the Beano. Yeah. Um, but in America, Dennis is called He's Dennis the, the Menace. Yeah. And then we have Dennis the Menace from the Beano. So when Dennis the Menace, the American version, came to the UK, they just called him Dennis. And you can tell the difference because Dennis the Menace from America is blonde uh, with a slingshot and a stripy top. And the uh, Dennis the Menace from the UK has black hair. With a slingshot and a stripy top. And his hair is, uh, it looks like he's stuck his finger in an electric shock socket. Yes, so one has like that American young boyish that they, every fucking American Macaulay boy has Culkin. in films. Yeah, well no, actually, not so bad for Amer- for Macaulay Culkin. It's uh, a little bit longer on uh, Dennis. Yeah, it's a proper bowl cut. Yeah, proper bowl cut. And whereas uh, Dennis Menish, as you say, doesn't have a bowl cut. He's got... Basically, his hair has been... Yeah, he's put his finger in an electrical socket. His hair is all up. It's spiky everywhere. Proper punk. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... But there was a couple of things in that, like with the vacuum cleaner sucking up paint. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was Home Alone. And then I watched Dennis recently about a year or two ago or two years ago. And I was like, oh, that's the paint. Oh, the paint was from this film, not from... So one of them for me is I always remember Joe Pesci dunking his head in a toilet. Right. His head gets set on fire and he sticks it in a toilet. His head does get set in fire in this one, but he doesn't, but stick, he doesn't stick it in a toilet. That must be in the second one. Because if I remember right, I might be exaggerating it, but I think Macaulay Culkin has filled the toilet with gasoline. So when he sticks his head in, his whole face goes <laughs> up. Um, and I think they like do that thing where they like colour him in soot. Sure. And he's just like, ah. So while I don't have any Mandela effect really for this film, or at least the one I had was countermanded by a previous watch of something else, what I didn't remember being uh, being the case was that the actual burglary of the McAllister's house was so short. Yeah, it's like 20 minutes. It's, isn't yeah, it? it's about 20 minutes, maybe 25 at a push, but I'm pretty certain it's 20. It feels really quick. Um, I remember that being basically the entire film. Yeah, I think most people do until yeah. they rewatch it. Because it's the bit that stands out and it's the bit you remember. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the bit at the church at all. I don't remember ever going to church. There's, I don't remember it taking them three nights after the McAllisters leave to actually start trying to burgle the place. No, I thought that the night where he's got the Michael Jordan mannequin and stuff, yeah. I thought that was all on the same night. Yeah, but it's not. It, it, they don't break into that night because they think the family is still there. They don't burgle the next night for some reason. Oh yeah, because they think that he's got someone in the house shooting guns because yeah. of the tv show he's got on yeah, yeah. uh so they don't Keep rob it the change night. you filthy animal yeah and it's only after, on the next day after that night that joe pesci kind of figures out that the kid is on his own so they rob it that night um i also don't remember any of the bit with the family and john candy i just all i remembered was that basically they bugger off on holiday 
And then they come back at the end and that's it with the family. Certainly don't remember the bit with the mum trying to drive across America with a blooming, what was it, jazz? Or, no, polka band. Polka band. Um, Get Weird Al Yankovic in there. Yeah, it would have been better with Weird Al rather than John Candy personally, but... To be fair, I don't think you needed any of those scenes, I'll be honest. No, uh, and what was kind of weird was we got a scene with John Candy and the mum after the burglary had been taken care of and the police had arrested him. Yeah, that feels like it should be earlier, doesn't it? Yeah, but I can't see where it would be earlier, so I think they just basically went, well, we filmed the John Candy scene, we've got to use them. Let's be honest, because all of the the scenes where it's John Candy and Catherine O'Hara together are all improv apparently. Right. So let's be honest, it's that typical thing where they filmed loads of improv and were like, well, we want to use it all. So let's stick it in. It's it's the reason a lot of Judd Apatow films suffer because he lets everyone improv and then doesn't have the balls to cut the film properly. Right. So he's just like, oh, but but Seth made this really good joke and I want to force it in. And you're like, yeah, but you're ruining the pacing of yeah. the thing. Yeah. Because that's the. I'm not saying all Apatow movies are bad. I like some of them, but a lot of them have this problem where scenes just go on too long and things like that. Yeah, and they it's because he's it's because he's not cutting things out properly. It's because he's waiting for his mate's funny line. You've got to kill your darlings, as they say. Yeah, it is harsh. Um, like the best directors who work around improv, specifically, um, what's his name? Tom Shadyac when he works with uh, when he works with Jim Carrey. Um, what he'd do is he'd get Jim Carrey to do the... He'd basically do a scene straight. Um, or not necessarily straight, even the comedy. He'd do it as scripted. And then he'd be like, right, okay, now we've done it as scripted. I'm happy with the scripted version. Do it with improv. And so, he, if need be, in the cutting suite, he could either use the what was scripted, because it, it keeps the pace up, or he could use the ad-libs, yeah. uh, because they're funnier and they add something. Whereas with this, because almost all of that dialogue was unscripted and it was almost all of it was ad-lib, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really seem to have a consistent flow narratively. It feels like it's been cut together to try and make those scenes relevant. And it, it, it slows the pace, as you say, of the film overall. We needed to see her trying to get home. And again, it all comes to naught because she gets home at the same time. Well, just literally like five minutes before the entire rest of the family do, and they just kept their tickets and flew the next night. To be fair, that is one of my favourite jokes in the film, though. Yeah, yeah. But it just, it means that those scenes... Were... She's gone through all of that, and it was like, it's literally, like he says, he goes, we just got on the plane that you weren't willing to wait for. Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> but the problem is, is we don't get enough of her story to make that joke land as well as it could do. But also, the amount of story we got was too much and we didn't need it. So it just felt like it was unnecessary padding. It might have been more interesting to see how McAllister learns how to booby trap the house. That might have been cool. Yeah. Rather than fuck around with that and him going, oh, can I buy this toothbrush? You know, because the toothbrush scene didn't really add anything either. Um, instead, have him, when he realises that he's going to be robbed, start watching videotapes on how to prevent burglaries or or some other shows or films that have had some connection to burglaries. Um, do something with that. Yeah. Um, that might have been cool. The film has a somewhat implausible setup that you have to kind of just... Like with a lot of Christmas movies, you kind of just have to suspend your disbelief. Yes. But basically, this family... I do not know what they do for a living, <laughs> but this house is fucking huge. It is a mansion of a house. Yeah. And 
I'm sure there's a line in it that Kevin's dad, not only are they going on holiday to, to Paris, uh, he's paying for everyone. Yes. Because like Uncle Frank's a cheapskate, isn't he? Yeah, he's got no um, money. And, and there's no way yeah. he's going to pay to go to France. I'm sure there's a throwaway line that he's paying for it all. Yeah. So that means he's paying for, is it? It's 11 kids. It's, yeah, and four adults, isn't it? Yeah, is it six a... adults. I'm sure you see. I think it's six adults because yeah, there's, you've got, you've got... there's Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd. Yep. There's Uncle Frank and his wife. And there's at least two other adults who so, they have yeah. a scene where they're talking to. Yeah. Uh, because it's when Frank's eating that food and the other woman keeps going, that's for later, Frank. That's yes. for later, yeah. Frank. Yeah, so I think there's six. So six adults, 11 kids, that's 17. Mm. 17 people all the way from america to paris yeah flying both ways and hoteling at least for a week for a week so it's a fancy hotel that you see them in yeah yeah and all the adults fly first class yeah so that's six first class tickets you sure it's 11 coach i mean it's still 11 coaches across doing that imagine putting all your kids like it's not like these are teenagers either like some of them are, but this is a lot of like Macaulay Culkin age children yeah, as like well. Eight, nine, sort of. Imagine sticking all them in coach while you go and live it up in first class. I mean, to be honest, I'd want to get away from my kids if I had that many. I know, but like you just rude wouldn't. to the other passengers as well as being dangerous for your kids. But yeah. you know, if you're a selfish bastard, I suppose that's the way you'd go. Um, <laughs> well, here's the other thing as well: is like Macaulay Culkin's character has an arc in this film. His arc is, at first, he hates his family, you know, he gets annoyed by the fact that, you know, they bully him, that he doesn't get listened to, that he gets disrespected, so he disrespects them, he's an annoying kid, um, and because of what happens over the course of this film, by the end, he learns to appreciate his family, you know, he states openly in the church scene to the creepy guy next door, that he, you know, regrets some of the things he said to his family, uh, he talks to a Father Christmas guy, uh, to you know basically say he wishes he could have his family back even though he said wrongful things yeah you know and he, he gets and then when they come home at the end there's this bit oh thank god you're all home like you know i have missed my family sort of thing the problem is there's no acknowledgement of the fact that actually in the in the intro he's treated like garbage yeah this is what i mean it's a little heavy-handed yeah the whole um, i guess it's because he's meant to be the youngest they're all picking on him yeah Definitely out of his lot. Yeah, he's definitely the youngest out of their lot. Because um, um, Buzz is obviously the oldest. Yes. Um, or maybe the sister, actually, they keep asking to count people. Yeah. But the point is, Buzz is particularly the one who bullies him a lot. And the, the thing is, that's believable, because older brothers do... Yes. It's Uncle Frank, man. Uncle Frank needs to be on a list. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> you, you literally see him stealing stuff from the airplane. Yep. He literally palms off um, every expense to his brother. Like, yep. the pizzas at the beginning. Your brother brother or brother-in-law, because we don't know if Frank is his brother or yeah. Catherine O'Hara's brother, um, is paying for you to go to Paris and you can't chip in for pizzas. Yeah. He calls Kevin a jerk to his face. Yeah. Like... If he my, says if it one doesn't of my really matter about going back for the kid as well, I think, when they get to France. Yeah. He's like, there's no point going back for him. He's just, he's such a scummy character. Yeah, he's like a, probably the main villain of it, other than the Wet Bandits. Yeah. And you're like, the only reason oh, he's not a villain is because he's not around Kevin enough to be the villain. Someone, oh, it might have been... It might have been the podcast We Hate Movies, but it might not be. I might be misremembering. I'm sure that We Hate Movies did at Home Alone, and they had this running joke 
No, this is actually, I think this is an early draft of the script. This is actually real. Um, Frank, it was going to turn out Frank was in league with the Wet Bandits. Right. And he's like their ringleader. And he had told them to come and burgle, knowing that his family were going to be in Paris. Right. And it was sort of like, a, yeah, I'm going to fuck over my rich brother sort of thing. Um, and he's like, that's why he doesn't want Catherine O'Hara to go back home. Right, that makes um, sense. I'm sure I remember reading that somewhere. I wonder why they removed um, that plot arc, because now he's just a bellend for no reason. Maybe they thought that was funnier. Maybe. maybe they thought it was just one step too far. What, that the family would be in on it? Having him be in yeah. on it, yeah. But yeah, um, <laughs> it's going to turn out he was part of the Wet Bandits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also don't rec- did, never remembered that Joe Pesci opens the film basically as playing mm. a fake cop inside the McAllister's house. Yeah. Uh, casing the joint. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um uh, which was a cool feature. Um and he's got I didn't remember he had the gold tooth. That literally sparkles when he smiles. Yeah, every time he smiles. Yeah. Ding. <laughs> um I feel like Danny DeVito could have been a wet bandit. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey kid, come here. <laughs> I have to say the, the so this film did not lack character. Um, you know, you knew who people were like that. We, we watched across VGMP and some of these as well. You, you, we often get films that are all right, but the characters are a bit bland. Mm. That's definitely not the case with home alone. I think that's no. to its credit. It knew what it was and it actively made people cartoonish, yeah. um, which, and, and it helps with people like Joe Pesci doing his, yeah, it's a film that's filmy. And I like that. I don't like. I don't like the over-obsession we have with narrative realism in this day and age. Sure. It, this is, we said, didn't we, at the beginning, it's a film that's got a hint of magic to it. Although it's not a magical film, it has a hint of magic to it. Yes. You can feel the Christmas spirit in it. There's a hint of magic to just the sheer fact he survives. Yeah. Let's be honest, realistically, if this was to happen, Macaulay Culkin would die. Yes. Um. I'm picturing Joe Pesci in Goodfellas when he's stabbing the fuck out of that body in the trunk. Yeah, yeah. But doing that to Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> I think this is a fucking game to you. <laughs> um, you know, there's the whole thing with the boiler. There's, mm. the, there's the old man. That very much captures that childish thing, doesn't it? Of, you know... Every, every neighbourhood, when you're a kid, has that poor person who, like rumours get started about where it's like oh oh old lady ellen who lives on the corner is a witch you know don't trick or treat at her house because she puts razor blades in the candy yeah and she's actually a normal person much like marley here where there's this whole story buzz tells that he's a shovel wielding murderer and that the reason he carries the grit bucket everywhere is he hides body parts in it but actually actually he's an old man just trying to help his community by keeping the roads icy free yeah um and when you meet him and actually talk to him you realize he's actually a a person shocking yeah and not you know an evil horror movie character it's kind of interesting as well obviously this was made first it's made in 1990 um the the film i mentioned earlier dennis dennis the menace in america that was made only two or three years later i think 93 actually came out it's basically it's got a lot of the same components as Home Alone. And it's essentially a summer Home Alone. Uh, because it's set in summer, whereas this is set at Christmas. So I'm guessing the idea was, well, now we've only got Home Alone. Why don't we do a film that will dovetail it at the other side of the year? Um, it's You've got 
a guy who Dennis pisses off, which is Mr. Wilson, played by Walter Matthau, mm. um, and his wife, who I can't remember the actress's name, but she's in a few things of the era, and she's actually really cute in this, like the as as a character, um, like his <laughs> Mr. Wilson's wife, Mrs. Wilson, I assume, uh, <laughs> yeah, and. It, there's a lot of the same sort of pranks, things that go wrong, uh, and often Walter Matthau is the butt of those pranks. Not because Dennis is trying to stop him, like uh, Kevin McAllister is trying to stop the Wet Bandits, just because basically Dennis has set something up, and they backfire on Walter Matthau as he's trying to like get proof that Dennis is a menace. But there is an evil character in Dennis the Menace, which is played by... I oh, played Doc Brown in Back to the Future. Um, uh, Christopher Lloyd. Yes, it Christopher Lloyd. He plays uh, a, basically a tramp-looking. Um, like he's a thief. There's a, a slight pedo element to the way they play oh. off his character, but there's nothing ever shown of that. It's just that he doesn't mind stabbing children. Uh, so there's a kind of a child catcher slash. Child, child killer. killer sort of element to him, um, and he's. Are very you sure creepy. it's not just Freddy Krueger is in this movie? <laughs> I mean, like, have you seen Dennis the Menace? A very long time ago. For yeah. a very quick short story. Uh, I saw Dennis the Menace when I was a kid. Yep. And literally was rage filled that it wasn't the Dennis the Menace I was expecting. Right. I I did not know until you've just told me that there was a different version in America. Yeah, it so was I, it completely not connected yeah. to the Dennis. Menace so I was sat UK. watching it going. Why is he blonde? Where's Nasha? Because Nasha's not in it, yeah. is he? And I just, I just hated Nasha's it. Dennis the Menace UK's dog. Dog, yeah. Um, and I just hated it. I was just like, what is this shit? Yeah. This yeah. isn't Dennis the Menace. I was confused as well in the 90s. Bear in mind, it came out in 93. I got it on VHS. Mm. I think that year or the, or the next year. I think my parents bought it for my brother because my brother was blonde. But yeah, basically, there's a lot of things that correlate. So it's, you know, a menace... Or someone who is an irritant who ends up becoming the saviour of the day, trying to prevent thievery and burglary from, in that case, one person, in this case two, who are trying to actively burgle the homes in a small street in the middle of nowhere, America. Uh, There's a lot of, a huge amount of similarity. I don't really know what to do with that. Like, was the idea meant to be that you had a summer version and a winter version? Oh, of course it was. Of course it was. That's how filmmaking works. Because that's how a... Hollywood works. Oh, what's that? We've just done a slasher movie at Halloween. Brilliant. What other holidays can we turn into slasher movies? Greenlight, everything. Friday the 13th, fucking New Year's Evil, prom night. Yeah. It's how they work. Yeah. You know, oh, we've done we've done uh, a kid fights off robbers in the winter. Let's do it in the summer. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the thing is, as well, is a, this vibe. Now, it's a different type of movie entirely, Hook. But it had a similar vibe to this. Right. But they're well, all different... same director, Chris Columbus. No, it wasn't. No, I actually looked Chris up... Columbus no. did Hook. Oh, no, Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg did Spielberg Hook. did Hook. But it's got a very similar vibe mm. in the way that it fit. it's got that slightly magical feel. It it feels to me like it was very much inspired, at least thematically, by Home Alone. But like the actual narrative is very different. 
Yeah, it's I, just it. You know what I mean when there's a vibe yeah. to. A oh film yeah, well it's it's, or an it's, it's to the it. Spielberg vibe. Yeah, uh, this is the thing. I've always felt Chris Columbus was heavily influenced by Spielberg. I, that's, especially I always find them a bit interchangeable, don't you? Uh, yeah, I, I especially anyway. especially eighties era Spielberg. Yeah, obviously Spielberg became a bit different once he started doing serious dramas like Schindler's List and stuff. Yeah, but eighties eighties yeah. era Spielberg when he's doing things like ET. Yeah, ET has got that magical fairy tale feel yes, to it. Yes, because the flying bikes and stuff like that. Down yeah. home. home. I've only ever seen ET once, you know. I've seen long, it a few times, long, but long time not ago recently. when I was a kid. There was a... I used to cry at that film when I was a child. Mm. It used to make I, me cry. I, I remember crying at it when I was a kid, mm. but I don't know if I'd cry if I watched it again. I don't think I'd cry at it now. Uh, but there's... <laughs> because I'm a proper man now, you know. Then again, do you know what? I fucking might, because i tell you what I have seen, and it fucking made me tear up. Uh, on YouTube, the boy who plays Elliot, yeah, uh, you can see his audition tape right. for E.T. on YouTube. Right. And... My honestly might be the best child actor there's ever been. Wow! He sits there and it's the scene where he has to cry because E.T.'s dying, and he's doing the scene and he's tearing up. And there is just something about watching a kid cry and be that emotionally open. Yeah, I find myself tearing up. And he's doing the scene, and as soon as they say cut, someone off camera, presumably Spielberg or a casting director, literally they get to the end of the scene, and they go cut. You got the job, kid. Well, <laughs> literally, like, don't... Just on the spot. Yeah, don't do the thing where they're like, okay, we have to deliberate or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they're like, literally. this kid can cry, fucking hired. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the other thing as well, before we move on from my sidebar, um, Dennis the Menace was directed not by Spielberg and no. not by... It was directed by a man we've covered on VGMP. Oh, D'Souza. No. Uwe Boll. <laughs> no, thank Christ, no. <laughs> Paul um, W.S. Anderson. Actually going to America, um, can you imagine? Oh, let me think. Uh, is it, I don't know the name, but is it the same gentleman who bought us El Campeón del Video Juego? No, it's not, no. No, I don't know then. Uh, so it's the same person who brought us The Last Starfighter. It's oh, Nick, Nick Castle, Castle, you told me, yeah. Who is also from do, 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 a film we previously covered do, 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 on this do, 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 channel, which is Halloween. Obviously, he wasn't the director of Halloween. He was playing Michael, Michael Myers. Michael Myers, yeah. He went from playing Michael Myers to directing Last Starfighter, probably stuff in between all of these, and then in as far in 93 did Dennis and Menace. Yeah. Um, Interesting career trajectory. Yeah, he kind of it's kind of strange as well because can bear in mind that his most famous sort of acting role, yeah. I suppose. Well, because he's not a, he he's not really an actor, is he? No, he was just, just John Carpenter's big. friend, and John yeah. Carpenter was like, "Here, put this mask on, pretend to kill Jamie Lee Curtis." But like, so his most famous acting role is as a serial killer. Yeah. But actually, the two films we know him from so far are child-friendly films. Uh, when I looked him up, nearly all of his films are family films. So yeah, just that because just he's tall be and big, <laughs> John Carpenter's yeah. like, hey, murder this woman. He always was like a comedian and goofy. Like there's loads of this photos from the set of Halloween when they were making it. And what is this one photo that I've seen in like every documentary I've ever seen of Halloween where they talk about what, you know, how Nick Castle wasn't scary at all in between scenes. Right. And it's a scene where he's, he's as Michael Myers, he's got the mask pulled up onto the top of his head. So there's his normal face and then Michael Myers's face and he's pouring a Dr. Pepper in through the Michael Myers <laughs> mouth hole. And he's got a goofy look on his face, like, or something like that. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you hear that a lot, though, don't you? Like, people who play villains and things actually being super nice yeah. when they're not being Well, some <laughs> the of the villain. trivia I found on this uh, stated that Joe Pesci purposely kept away from um, Macaulay, Culkin. Macaulay Culkin throughout the production because he didn't want Macaulay Culkin to think he was nice. Let's pff, let's be honest. That's because Joe Pesci just didn't want to deal with a kid. Probably. Let's be real here. Joe Pesci was like... Fuck yeah, I'll fine, I'll do your movie, I'll do your movie, but I don't want to be fucking around with no kid, okay? I don't want to be doing that. Nobody should be fucking with Bear in mind he's done um he's done Goodfellas at this point. Actually, yeah. I bet he must have filmed them at roughly the same time because Goodfellas came out like two months before this. Yeah. Fucking hell, nineteen ninety were a good year to be Joe Pesci. Yeah, Joe Pesci definitely uh picked his year. Is that the same year that he made his rap song? Oh god, what's it called? Wise yeah, it's called Wise Guy or something like that. Oh, and it no. wasn't then. It was years after this. It was like in the early noughties. It is, uh, it's exactly as embarrassing as you think it's going to oh, be. Oh, no, Joe. Don't do it, Joe. Um, so um, let's, let's talk about Christmas films in general. Actually, no. Before we do that, let's talk about the Wet Bandits themselves and the slapstick element here. Yes, because that's obviously the biggest and most memorable mm. part of the film. So obviously, a lot of this, not to take anything away from Macaulay Culkin, who obviously, for, for a period in the late 80s, early 90s, Macaulay Culkin was the child actor. He was the boy. Like, he was the one you got. A bit like Joel Holy, Joel Haley Osment was in Haley the Haley Joel Osment. He's got too many I names. see dead people. Yeah, I see, that yes. Did. Um, yeah, in the late, in the late 90s, 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, well, he's kind of got a, a Macaulay Culkin look to him, hasn't he? Yeah. Small, blonde boy. In, yeah, because he was in, obviously, Sixth Sense, but he was also Sense, in AI. AI. Um, he's the voice of Sora in Kingdom Hearts, yep. not that you care. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and I've seen some stuff that he's in lately as well as an older yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting to see. Still got Whereas on. Macaulay Culkin doesn't really do anything anymore. I've heard that he's looking to come back. Um, oh, really? But yeah, because he, he obviously... With a gritty Home Alone reboot. <laughs> well, the thing is with... I mean, if anyone could pull it off, it would be him. Um, but I know he had drug problems for a long time, things like that. Of course he did. He was a child who was given an infinite amount of money. money yeah. And was friends with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Like, accusations aside, let's say they didn't happen. Cause of Michael course Jackson said, was a weird man. Because of course said they didn't happen. Yeah. He, he slept in a bed with Michael Jackson. <laughs> Michael Jackson was a weird man by any account, yeah. regardless of whether or not you believe the accusations. Um, Hi, Russell, it's Michael. <laughs> or Russell Crowe, yeah, saying that he kept getting mm. prank calls from Michael Jackson whenever he went to hotels, but literally never met the man. Yeah. It was just Michael Jackson stalking him. And just liked Russell Crowe, I guess. Yeah. Um, so not to take anything away from Macaulay Culkin, but a huge part of why this movie works is Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci. Yes. They are perfect together as the wet bandits because they've got that vibe to them where Daniel Stern's the tall, dumb one yeah. and Joe Pesci is the theoretically smarter Pink one. in the brain. Yeah, but he's only theoretically smarter. Yeah. In actual fact, if you pay attention to the film, he's just better at ex- He's just more commanding. Yeah, he's but more in wordy actual, with his stupidity. But in actual fact, he's not smarter. No. He's a fucking moron too. No, he, when he walks up the icy steps and falls over, he then goes back up the icy steps oh. and falls over, then goes back up the icy steps again. Burns and his hand. Burns his hand and, and then falls down. over and then falls down the steps. And then he goes back up the steps. You're like, dude, like at this point, don't bother with the icy steps. Go around on the snow. 
Yeah. Like <laughs> the snowy part would be better. He d- he doesn't learn his lessons. Um, yes, those two are very good. You can tell sometimes when they use stuntmen uh, because the camera angles are chosen particularly to hide their features. But yeah. I suppose that is something you have to work around in this. Yeah, it's the film. same with Macaulay Culkin. There's, a, there's at least twice in the film where we were like stuntman. Yeah, when he's ziplining down the And when he sla- rides sliding. the sleigh down the stairs and out of the yeah. door. Now, obviously, you're not going to throw Macaulay Culkin down a flight of steps. Uh, or have him zip lining for real. Why not? They didn't invent child labour laws till the 2000s, <laughs> did they? I don't know. Uh, but either way, like I can understand not doing that. Um, but at the same token, like, and they did try. They apparently they got a really short 30 year old guy. But the, it's what's weird is his height isn't the problem. It's the proportionality. Children yes. have a slightly different proportion yeah. to their adults. Their heads are big. Yeah. Their heads are big compared to their body. Yeah. Um, and they've got like tiny limbs and hands and whatnot. So there's a few different theories about things in this film. I'll go over them briefly. Okay. Gus, which is the character played by John Candy, is the devil. Since when? So, what, he likes poker music? So it says here, Kevin's mother wanted to get back home to her son so bad, she made a bargain with the devil at the airport. Uh, she actually, Before he speaks, she says she would sell her soul to the devil himself to get back home. Uh, the Scranton airport is near a crossroads, which lines up with an offering to the devil near a crossroads. Right. This smells to be of someone overthinking it. As soon as she said yes to him, he pointed to the rental van that could take her home. To add to the myth of dealing with the devil in Home Alone, she got home at the same time she would have done if she'd just taken the next plane, which meant she sold her soul for nothing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's not the worst theory I've ever no, heard. But I highly doubt it was anything Chris Columbus was thinking of. No, because but... it would seem to be antithetical to most of how Chris Columbus makes films, to be honest. But uh, there's this one. This is quite a popular one. Kevin's dad is a mobster. Mm-hmm. Works for the uh, works for the mafia. Uh he believes Pete, uh, Peter, Kevin's dad, might be a master criminal. This makes a lot of sense as the family is shown to be rich, affording a nice house in a pretty, cl- pretty high-class neighbourhood and able to afford plane tickets to France for the whole family. Mm-hmm. However, no method of their income is told. When Harry, disguised as a police officer, comes round, Peter asks him, am I under arrest? It's like, why would you ask that if you're not potentially suspect? Um... Add in an uncle that seems very dubious and one son who seems completely sadistic in this family might be married to the mob. Oh, shit. Uh, uncle Frank is the real villain. I, I said this, didn't I? This yeah. is like part of a script, I'm sure it is. So, Uncle Frank is prominently shown to have a natural hatred for Kevin and jealousy of his brother's income. Um, it's speculated that Frank may have hired Harry and Marv to rob the house. Uh, and some believe that Uncle Frank hired the wet bandits. Uh, it's, it's still it's stayed on here that it's probable it doesn't mention that there is a script version of that so that might be interesting to right. see if that was proven or not maybe if, I'm Mandela affecting myself it might have been a skit skit that we hate movies did but mm. well yeah point is the point is, is that it's <laughs> can't trust Frank film. no definitely not Kevin's father hates him <laughs> again going to the family this theory proposes that Peter McAllister shares no bundle loving relationship with his son Kevin and is seeking to get rid of him. The few interactions between the two start with Peter scolding Kevin, and... P- Peter suspects that Catherine O'Hara cheated. Yeah, and this... It's not his kid. <laughs> on a DNA test. The second movie starts with Peter suspiciously leaving Kevin behind on purpose in the airport. 
these scenarios in the movies further form as evidence, which is extremely probable theory. Um, to be honest, that seems a stretch. I think that's just they needed a plot device to get him yeah. lost twice, or not with the family. Old man Farley, uh, old man Marley is Kevin from the future. Right. So the man who's shoveling snow and has that whole re- emotional moment in the church is just Kevin McAllister from the future who can't speak to his son. Uh, he saved Kevin when he was about to be killed by Harry and Marv. He enabled him to go on friendly terms with his family. Uh, someone suggested that old man Marley is actually Kevin from the future and that is why he can help Kevin ever so easily. If it was Kevin from the future, he'd know he was being robbed. Mm. So actually, that kind of disapproves itself there uh, because he had family issues himself in the future caused by the events of the film and wanted to prevent this Kevin from developing a gap between his family but if this was the Kevin from the future and he hadn't developed the family bond again then he'd be dead wouldn't he because like basically the suggestion is is that if this if the future Kevin McAllister didn't come back to save current pre- Kevin McAllister, he probably wouldn't have survived the Wet Bandits incident. Do you know what I'm going to say to you? See, the, people, the th- mistake people make is they think time is a strict progression of course to effect. When in actual fact, it's more of a big ball of wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey Oh man, Star stuff. Trek, yes. Doctor Who. Yeah, I know. I'm just annoying you because I know. You set phases to fun. There you go. The McAllisters are a cult. <laughs> what they're trying to sacrifice Kevin yeah isn't it weird to have such a large family live under one house they're taught to ignore the outside world I mean to be fair only in American culture in lots of other cultures that would not be considered that large of a family but, but it is a, that large of a fucking house uh, and since childhood has developed a hate for non-McAllister ne- members they went as far as Buzz wait, accu- wait, 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 are they suggesting inbreeding maybe they went as far as Buzz accusing old man Marley of murder urging his family to stay away from their neighbour altogether. With fearing even Harry, dressed up as a cop, and the pizza delivery guy, and having shown to have no friends outside their families, the McAllisters might just be a cult. I think that's a stretch. Yeah, these are all just that's silly just, things. Yeah. Kevin is dead! Right, go We're on. sick sensing it now. One of the darkest theories uh, is that he's actually dead in the form of a ghost terrorising his family by putting toy cars under their path and causing mayhem. Nobody actually thought Kevin would join them on the trip to Paris because he's a spirit who was tethered to the house. Furthermore, many members of his family calling him a disease and the only troublemaking child out of 15. Then why does she run back to the house then if they weren't expecting... Why do they count 11 children when they're... Honestly, these are stupid. Yeah, that one... I was actually hoping that would have some balls to it, but no, that was disproven by the course of the film. Peter McAllister, it's great when this website can't even spell McAllister correctly all the time. McAllister. Peter McAllister is training secret agents. So Peter McAllister is... Okay, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Is there any, like, are these just things people are making up on the spot? No. Like, there doesn't seem to be any evidence for any of these. They just seem to be people being stupid. Yeah. Yeah, so... Go on, what, what makes him think he's training secret agents? Uh, Wait, are Harry and Marv the secret agents <laughs> that are being trained? I'd love it if they were, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Peter McAllister is pretty shady. He is unaffected with Kevin. He's physically and emotionally tortured by his cousins and siblings. Not to mention that he's already trained Buzz to be rather antisocial and violent. Uh, so someone posited that the whole break-in was orchestrated to make sure Kevin knows how to survive 
and did it a second time to make sure the first time wasn't a fluke. It was in order to ensure that he was capable of being inducted into his agent program. Wow. I mean, that's... Okay, so the last one I'll go into is the only one that... Aliens. It's got to be aliens. Come no, on. No, no. Kevin is the jigsaw killer. Oh, um, yeah. I've heard this yeah, one. so this one is at least plausible, though I believe it has been completely debunked. Uh, the traps are impressive, etc., like Jigsaw has in Saw, um, which has led some to rule under if he grows up to become Jigsaw and he's an adult. Yeah, unfortunately, the ages don't line up. Yeah. The um, age Jigsaw is in the first Saw film. Kevin McAllister would have had to have been born much earlier than he was. Right. It says, hey, both punished criminals have strained relationships with their families and devise insidious death traps to maim and kill all of the people they lure to their location. Um... I mean, I, I, I could dig a crossover. It's one of the few non-horror-to-horror crossovers that would plausibly work if Kevin McAllister became the new Jigsaw. Mm. Um, obviously, couldn't be, as you say, because of the age range, couldn't be the original Jigsaw. Yeah. But new age Jigsaw. Live or die, make your choice. <laughs> uh, okay, so looking at the pantheon of Christmas movies... Yes. Because uh, this is widely regarded as a classic. A lot of people watch it every year, etc. Yep. Um, it's definitely more of a Christmas movie than, say, J- Jingle All The Way, which we've also done this year, mm. although I think it's not going to come out till after this one. Jingle All The Way, one of the big problems we found with it was its focus was entirely on commercialism. Yes. And, and merchandising and, and, you know you know actual owning stuff you know not the right part of christmas at all yeah this is a much nicer message it posits as well that the family basically get broken up because of christmas because arnie's character a is a dumb shit who keeps forgetting to buy presents (laughs) and over the course of the film where he keeps trying to get a present last minute ends up being so distanced from his wife that there's the possibility his wife would cheat on him with the neighbour. Now, she never actually goes down that path herself. She's actually being perved on by the neighbour. But at the same token, you're like, it's kind of the wrong message. It's like, why he's... In the one day he's trying to get a present for his son is the day that basically... Oh, because he's doing that, because he bought the present so late, his wife might be shagged by the next-door neighbour. Put the cookie down! Put that cookie down! Uh... It's a, it kind of feels antithetical to a Christmas vibe, mm. uh, whereas this doesn't. No, this feels much more Christmassy without beating you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah. It's not quite as, I don't know. Although people watch this at Christmas, I feel like you could watch this at any time of year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit better at Christmas because of how it's set. Mm. But that's just because it's in winter as well. Yeah, and do you not find people are a bit more open to having a little bit of magic in their film when it's Christmas time? Yeah, and to be fair, it kind of makes sense as well because winter you generally don't go out as much either. So, mm. you know, wanting a bit of the magic of the outside, you can't go and get because it's too cold and icy or whatever and rainy. Mm. So you watch it inside on the big screen or the Because you the two are screen. home alone. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I like this film. I think it's a really good film uh, for what it is. You know, don't get me wrong; it's not. It's not a film that you would go. It's really intelligent, in depth, artistic. Yeah. But 
you know what? It's a damn good fun time. Maybe next year we'll do the second one because I've, I've never quite remembered whether I prefer this one or the second one. Mm. And I haven't seen any of the others because they all look awful. Uh, I don't think there's anything more to say. No, I'm quite satisfied. Um, I think it's a good film. I would recommend people to watch it. Excellent. Um, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We are currently in the midst of our uh, December episodes, which is all Christmas, baby. It's all Christmas from now till December 25th. Woo woo. Uh, we hope you are having a lovely festive period. We hope you are getting everything that you need to get ready, ready uh, for the big day. And m- most importantly, we just wish everyone peace and happiness, etc., etc. And uh, we will see you next time on Second Take Cinema.